Fast Money starts right now. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, stocks falling for the second day in a row, but Wall Street bull Steve Chavarone says bye-bye-bye. He'll be here to explain why he is so bullish. Plus, we've got a bit of an earnings fallout after hours. Everything from Box to L brand sinking after reporting earnings moments ago. We'll bring you all the details as those conference calls are underway. But first, we start off with two sides to the trade war. First... Top trade advisor Robert Lighthizer putting a big question mark on a potential deal between the U.S. and China. Take a listen. Let me be clear. Much still needs to be done, both before an agreement is is reached and, more importantly, after it is reached, if one is reached. But on the flip side, Boeing, the poster child for the trade war in many ways, is flying high. In fact, Shares are soaring to an all-time high today, taking off since the December lows, now up nearly 50%, adding almost $80 billion in market cap during that time frame. So what should investors believe? Which side is the true trade war tell? Guy. The trade war tell. I think the true trade war tell is Mr. Lighthizer's, his comments today. I think it's going to get slow walked for quite some time. I've been in the camp that a deal's not going to get done anytime soon. I'm going to stay with it. And then you'll say to me, well, wait a second, guy. Then how do you, how did Boeing go from $285 a month and a half ago to $425? Anyway, answer your own question. What was the question? (laughs) How did it, so the the answer is the following. The Fed bailed us out, number one, and then the market realized, wait a second, Boeing's not necessarily a China story. Boeing's a free cash flow story that we've talked about forever, and the valuation is reasonable. Now, has it gotten ahead of itself? Yeah, I think so, but I don't think Boeing is necessarily saying that a trade deal is about to get there. I think it's more of a trade deal story than it is a free cash flow story. And I think that the way we overshot to the downside in December, we overshot to the upside now. So I think it's going to roll. I think the market is going to roll, and we're getting very close to that day. See, I, I think Boeing is the ultimate non-cyclical cyclical story. So I, I think Boeing, because of, the, because, of, because of their order well book. Well, and I know I need to explain myself. So Guy talked about you know, they're going to have 17 to 17 and a half billion in free cash flow in, in 2019. This was even better than expectations, which were already extremely high. Look at that order book. Uh, look at the duopoly they had with Boeing, with Airbus, excuse me. And, and ultimately, you have a dynamic where I don't think you have any other place to go. Um, I think if you look at China deliveries as uh, the core red flag you would throw up there in a trade war, I think it's probably 6 7% uh, of of, of essentially their bottom line, and I don't get worried about that for a company that is executing on all cylinders. So I'm not going to tell you they won't be moved around by trade war headlines, but their core business, stay the course on Boeing, this company is worth owning. And their peers in terms of their sector, I mean, that sector's right. been outperforming industrials, of Yeah, course, and if year. you look at the industrials, I think part of the story here, Mel, is when you're looking at it, I agree on whomever's on the side of, hey, look, the trade war is the trade war. I think this is more of a cash flow story. And if you go around and see what's really moving right now, what's been performing technology? Well, what's technology? These guys are all free cash flow guys. You talk about Apple and Microsoft and all these various names. And then you start to look at some of the other areas in, in the industrials. You see the same type of thing. Tim mentioned $17 billion in free cash flow. We're talking huge numbers here. And the P.E. is still trading at something like a forward 18, something like that. So there's 60 percent you know, commercial airlines. That's what they do. That's what they're putting out there. And I agree with you, Tim. I don't think they're as dependent on China as the rest of the world seems to think because of the oligopoly. They need, China needs them more than they need China at this yep. point. No, you're the only person on this desk who thinks okay. that Boeing's a trade war stock still. Well, I, I do believe that that's where it started. Being affected by the trade war as well. <laughs> I do believe that that's where it started. And I think you brought, up, you brought up industrials, right? That's the sector that they belong to. It's overbought on an RSI. 
So I think it's overextended. I don't, I don't think it's a terrible stock. Right. I think there's a hell of a lot of reasons why they rallied, but I do believe that they're overbought. What's night? Thursday night, right? I love no, Thursday nights are the Wednesday best. Night. Next day today is Friday. Hump day. La- yesterday, day yesterday we had a segment on, remember the double dog dare? Remember Christmas story, Pete? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Double dog okay. downgrade. Double dog. Yeah. Double dog. It went straight to double dog English. dare. What are we on doing Caterpillar. here? He's talking about the Caterpillar downgrade. UBS went from a buy to a sell. Now, mm-hmm. if you had said to me, what is bigger tell, Boeing mm-hmm. or the UBS downgrade mm-hmm. yesterday, which is a different game, I know. I would have said, you know what, Mel, that's an excellent question. The bigger tell on trade? Yes. Okay. The bigger tell on trade. Why is that? Because if UBS believes there's a trade deal about to be made, there's no way in God's green earth they would have gone from a buy to a sell in the second poster child. There are separate issues. The the analyst was calling out weakness around the world regardless of a trade deal. Exactly. And And so maybe some stocks are performing. If you have Europe teetering on recession, and even if the trade deal gets done, isn't there a host of reasons why China growth has been lackluster, why it's been uh, upper left to the lower right, as uh, Dennis Gartman would say, but he'd say the reverse. There's, there's, a, there's a host of backdrops that's that negative for the market. Yeah. So there are so, reasons already to be negative on certain right. well, on some of these okay, stocks. Okay, so I, I, I am of the view that if you look at the Chinese data for the first quarter and the fourth quarter, um, obviously there was two things at work. One, you had China that was already slowing going into the trade war. The Chinese uh, authorities and policymakers, I, I think, were flat-footed by the trade war. Uh, I actually think that China, in the last two months, they've cut triple R's. They've stimulated. They've stimulated their economy. They have more to go, and they're actually cutting taxes. And and despite we don't want to hear this, January the highest credit expansion in. China China in a long time. I think China's data has bottomed for the short run. I think Europe's data has bottomed for the short run as long as we get this deal. And, and so um, I, I don't think it's going to be great, Steve, but, but everyone is priced in the end of the world. And that is in a lot of these numbers already. I actually See, think, I, I think, I think by the same token, you could say what Tim said and be 100 percent correct. Correct. And you could also say that we've also priced in 90 to 95 percent of a positive trade war deal. So you could sort of trade both of them, which is sort of offsetting for me. And I think the market has run so much into a trade deal getting done that it's actually a sell the news. Here's a question. Has the rest of the world priced in a trade war deal? Has China priced in a trade war deal? Has Europe priced in a trade war deal? Because arguably their markets might see see a bigger boost, right, from a trade war resolution. At well, this point. Uh, so uh, my view is absolutely not. And, and I would argue that also that China's markets, which uh, I think by their own standards are crazy cheap right now. And we've had a lot of technical breakouts. I'm not saying China's a great story. We need to be clear about this. But relative to where be. people were pricing it, and I think for longer term people investing, you also have MSCI inclusion. You have a couple right. other dynamics that are just technical. You're going to see a lot of asset and passive flows going into China. Rest of the world, the DAX has been a disaster. You can make an argument that the DAX was most punished more than any other industry in the world by the trade war because they the largest export economy relative to their GDP, and I actually would own Germany here as well. I still think that that, that is not priced in nearly to the level you're talking about, though, Steve. I, when I look here at this in the thing, U.S. I, here in the U.S. and and I still think that that China, quite honestly, the need for us is bigger than everybody seems to want to say. Everybody seems to think we need them. I still lean need on for the us idea. being U.S. I see what right. you did there. Yeah, 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 yes, exactly you. right. Us, U.S., yes. So, but but I, what I like about that is I still think there's plenty of upside built in for us. I don't think it's as much priced in. I think that all the other elements have been priced in. And now, all of a sudden, you look at China. That, I think, puts us through that and puts us near the 3,000 level of the S&P 500. 
quickly, one of the reasons for you know, the market or participants thinking China was going to cave is because their markets were performing so poorly. If and their economies. Down 32, yeah. 33 percent mm-hmm. at one point a month, month and a half ago. Those markets have come <clears throat> raging back. So if the markets have come back, maybe that gives them more resolve than we think. So I understand what Pete is saying, and they probably do need us more than we need them. With that said, I think the Chinese play the long game. We don't. I think they string us along. So you, for a while, have said that, that a trade deal is going to be a sell-the-news event. Mm-hmm. What kind of selling do you think we'd see? So I think the calculus has changed the same way that we saw the sell-off based on Powell in October, and we tested that February low. We got down to 23.46. The calculus has changed now. He's got super dovish. So I don't know if we retest the exact low, but maybe in the 2,500 the exact range. exact low of December 24th. 23.50, 23.46. I think you can see something in the 2,500 range, somewhere between 25 and 2,550 would be a good enough test for me. All right. Well, our next guest believes just the opposite, basically. <laughs> he says a trade <laughs> deal is coming. And to buy stocks now because the rally is alive and well, let's bring in Steve Chavaron, the portfolio manager manager at Federated Investors. Uh, great to have you. Your, your yes, year-end okay. price target is 3,100. Yeah. So you really believe that this uh, is, is trade going to be the major catalyst here for 3,100? The Fed has been the major catalyst. They're underwriting an upward movement in risk assets by taking a policy error off the table. You know, we were here a month ago, and the idea was, and it still is, the market was pricing in a recession in Q4. That's not going to happen by any of the measures that we look at. And if you don't have a recession, the bull market shouldn't die. By definition, if it's still a bull, you got to hit a new high. Mm-hmm. And we believe, look, you guys are the traders, I'm the investor. I don't know what the next 2 or 3% move in the market is, but we feel really good that the market's going to hit a new high in 2019. How do you account for slowing economic growth around the world? I mean, we were talking about this UBS downgrade of Caterpillar. I know you don't talk individual stocks, but this sort of underscores the notion that there is concern outside of a trade deal happening, that growth overall is slowing. That's going to hurt end markets for U.S. multinational companies. And from your standpoint, that could be a sign that you might want to worry about companies and, and what, how they're doing around the world. Everything you said was right, but I'd change one word. Okay. Growth isn't slowing. It has slowed. And we believe oh, it's that it's a going slowing. to... No, no, it has slowed. Right. And we think it's bottoming in Q1, and then we'll reaccelerate later. And that slowdown is, is causing the central banks of the world to go from kind of synchronized tightening to synchronized stimulus. And that's, that's the part of this story that we think is different. We're at 2,800 today on the S&P. We were at 2,800 five months ago. But instead of being at peak earnings and peak growth ready to decelerate, we think we're bottoming in earnings and growth in Q1 and reaccelerating. We think that you're paying 16 and a half times now. You were paying 18 and a half times five months ago. The Fed's no longer in play. All of that suggests to us that this 2800 is more attractive than it was in October. You know what's so interesting about what the totality of what you said is that basically you're saying that in the U.S. we've taken a policy a misstep off the table by, or we will when we have a trade deal. Mm-hmm. The Fed is out of play, so the Fed misstep is out of play either. But yet you're putting your faith into, into central banks around the world who can stimulate those economies around the world to prevent us from feeling the pain. I don't think it's faith. I mean, China threw more money at their economy But you're in worried about the missteps here the, in the U.S., yeah. but you're not worried about the missteps in Europe or in China in no, terms of holding I, the We were not there. worried about the missteps last year. That's why we remain bullish. We believe that in the face of that growth slowdown, regardless of the fact that Powell was kind of finding his way to the right rhetoric, that ultimately the Fed wasn't going to hike our way through into a recession. And we don't think the rest of the central banks are interested in 
killing themselves either. Was it a policy error because it made the markets go lower, or was it a policy error because it did something to the economy? Because in my world, the president talks about the greatest economy in the history of the public, record unemployment rate, uh, stock market within a few percent of an all-time high. Yep. Fed's just trying to get to some level of normalization. I don't know why that's an error. Well, right, the Fed has mandates of maximum employment and stable inflation. One of their mandates is not to just cause a recession because. And so if they were in a scenario where housing was coming under pressure, Autos were under pressure. Interest rate parts of the market were a little bit weak. The dollar was strong. Global growth is slowing. And their hand isn't being forced by inflation. Why? If, they, if slowing down today means that they make the expansion last longer and can get one or two more or three more hikes over the next couple of years, that's a better trade-off. Yeah, you want dry powder, but you don't want to need it sooner than you have to have it. And so we think that it was just a matter of looking at the risk and return and saying, we don't need to be crazy here. Um, if you don't have a Fed hiking and you don't have a policy error, it's hard to get to a recession. All recessions have that. So, Steve, based upon you know dry powder concept, yep. where, where do you put money to work here? Because you're going to 3,100. Most people would say we're going to need to see the same horses ride on, yep. and, and and those horses would have to be uh, mega cap tech uh, mm-hmm. and ultra cyclicality. Is that where you're putting your bets right now? We think the easiest money to be made right now is in the United States. Cyclicals, small caps interest rate sensitive parts of the market. Because all you need is no recession and the Fed to do exactly what they said they were going to do, which is nothing. If I go internationally, I need the trade war to go right for emerging markets. I need the dollar to weaken for emerging markets. I need Europe not to be Europe. You just said the trade war is going right. I know, but it's still something else that I need. Whereas in the U.S., in terms of easy money, if all that we do is the Fed doesn't you know, do another about face and a recession doesn't come, you know, we've had parts of the market that were down 25, 30%. Um, and this is energy, industrials, materials, financials. We think that, along with small caps and dividend plays, are your easiest money in the market right now. Steve, great to see you. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Steve Chevron, Federated. What do you think? Well, I think that industrials, I agree with most of what he was saying. I think industrials are overbought, so the market can move sideways and, and lower. As he said, he's not forecasting the next 5% move. He's right. forecasting it for the year. I think industrials are overbought. I think tech is overbought. I think you've got to go away from those. The question is, are we in this place where this market is not uh, where it was in the first couple months, uh, first month, really, of 2018 or the last part of 2017? When we were rallying on earnings growth and we were putting uh, our investments into those sectors where you're getting it, um, everything I'm hearing from anybody who, who at least is talking about an earnings recession says this is a market that looks a lot more like 2015 uh, when we really hadn't recovered. And we're buying the market because there is no alternative. I still think you just look at the stocks like we just basically heard. If the fundamental story is there and they've got growth, and if they're trading at PEs that absolutely seem still very cheap, I think there are great opportunities out there. I think there are names in technology that aren't the big four or big five that actually fulfill a lot of that. So I think there's all kinds of different opportunities out there, Mel, that actually still have room to the upside that give us a a nice push that get us to that 3,000 level in the S&P. All right, coming up, Twitter dealing with some social anxiety. Shares are down nearly 10% in the past month. So what is wrong with this stock? The traders will weigh in. Plus, it's been a little slice of retail heaven this week, but there's something happening that could bring this group back to earth. We will explain. And later, Pete here is going to step up to the plate to pitch one beaten down stock that he says is about to soar. We're live in Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Box getting crushed in the after-hour session. Josh Lipton's in San Francisco with more. Hey, Josh. 
So Melissa reached out for, to some analysts for some quick street reaction to this print. Uh, spoke to Rishi Jaluria from DA Davidson. Uh, listen, he says billings obviously fell way short. The revenue outlook was not just below the street, but represented a significant deceleration. Um, Rishi making the argument to me that, that Box is still a company with good technology. To him, just this looks like, though, extended sales execution issues. And the bottom line, he says, is that a turnaround in sales and a reacceleration in growth uh, could take significantly longer he told me that investors had first expected. Brian Peterson over at Raymond James, he's telling his clients, if you're trying to look for a silver lining, well, there were solid cost controls in the quarter. But bottom line for him, prior indications of growth acceleration in fiscal 20, clearly in his words, off the table. I did have the chance to check in briefly with CEO Aaron Levy about the corner as to the guidance, uh, weaker than expected, he, he made the point, which he's making right now on the conference call, too, that he would point to two broad uh, points of weakness. A few seven-figure deals, he says, did get pushed out. In terms of geography, he told me they continue to see continued weakness in EMEA. He's focused on new sales training and new sales leaders. I did ask him, too, though, about competition from Dropbox. Remember, uh, Dropbox CEO Drew Houston was just on CNBC last week. He told us he's taking customers from Box. Um, I did ask Aaron Le Levy about that. He says that's not unreasonable, that certainly Dropbox uh, does compete with customers, especially in the small business category. But in his words, um, he is not seeing them show up in the enterprise. Guys, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. Uh, shares down 23%. Pete, what do you do? I think one of the issues they have, and, and Josh kept mentioning deceleration, deceleration, right? And he talked about some of the geographic issues. I think the other thing is they're just plain losing to certain, not just Dropbox. They're losing to Microsoft. They're losing to Google. There are others out there. That's a problem. If you're supposed to be the one that's actually gaining market share because you have so little and you're not and it's decelerating, that's a huge problem. I, I think this is a no-touch at this point in time. You've got to wait until they can prove that they can compete at a higher level, like a sales force does right now, and absolutely destroys the rest of the competition. Fiscal year 20 growth, the street was at more than 20%, and they're indicating 15%. That's so that's jump. a huge gap, right, in terms of expectations versus what they say they can deliver at this point. I think this is a struggle for all these players. And, and again, yeah. Dropbox was, was not, is not a standalone on that. And the fact that Box was up almost 50% into this number year to date didn't leave it any room for error. I actually think this is an overreaction. Doesn't mean I'm jumping in to buy it, but this is a massive, massive move on a, on a, on a miss that was not good but not terrible. It's been afforded an incredible multiple. And as Pete said, if you, if you were getting that multiple, any pullback, even though they had 20% growth year over year in revs, it's, if that doesn't do it for you, then it has to be a no-touch. And it seems as though the writing was on the wall real early for the stock, and it was given a wider berth, and it seems like that berth is now narrowing. Real quick, the last three quarters down 23%, down 8%, down 11% after they reported earnings. This will be the fourth, obviously, so four in a row where things have gone pear-shaped. What's interesting is this. Goldman Sachs initiated the stock buy, $31 price target a couple weeks ago. It's going to be interesting to see if they reiterate. I'm with these guys, no touch, but I'll tell you, if it gets down to 17 and a half, I think it becomes a pretty interesting story once again. Yeah, $31 price target Goldman Sachs came out with. Mm. Um, well, it's not just Box. Check out some of the other big movers, uh, earnings movers, earnings disasters, we should say, uh. after hours. Square, L Brands, and Booking all getting slammed. We're bringing the very le latest details on all of these stocks. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Well, retail heaven doesn't look too far away, as this group of stocks is surging. But there's something that could bring these stocks back to earth. 
will explain. Plus, Pete Nigerian is stepping up to the plate to pitch one stock that he says is about to take off. And yes, that's a hint. There's much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on Celgene. That stock is tanking after hours. Let's get to Eric Chemi in the newsroom for the details. Hey, Eric. That's right, Melissa. The stock is down more than 8% after hours after Wellington Management issued a statement saying it does not back the deal between Bristol-Myers and Celgene. Remember that Wellington is Bristol-Myers' number one institutional shareholder with an 8% stake. So that firm's opinion carries a lot of weight. In early January, Bristol announced the agreement to acquire Celgene in a deal valued at $74 billion. Wellington says it believes the transaction asks Bristol-Myers shareholders to take on too much risk. It's not as accretive as they want it to be. Back to you, Melissa. All right. Thank you very much, Eric Chemi. There are other uh, investors, the fifth largest shareholder, Dodge and Cox, also unhappy with the deal, apparently. So what happens at this point? Could be a blessing in disguise for Celgene down the road at some mm-hmm. point. But it, you know, it does make sense. We probably talked about it at the time. I thought Bristol bit off far more than they could chew. It was sort of a Hail Mary for a company that hasn't been doing well when other big cap pharma stocks, Eli Lilly, Merck, for example, Pfizer, have been doing well. I think it was sort of a Hail Mary, and I think a lot of people are calling them on it. Think about it. Bristol's at $73 billion or so market cap company. This is a huge deal for them. So... I understand why Wellington would push back, but what does it mean for Celgene? In my opinion, I think you'd probably take a look at Celgene and buy this weakness. I'm not suggesting somebody else comes in to scoop them up, but I think at this price, the stock is undervalued. The largest shareholder, reportedly the fifth largest shareholder in Dodge and Cox, and then Starboard, of course, the activists who want seats on the board of Bristol, unhappy with the deal. Well, if anything, to me, Bristol seems the place where you could maybe take a nibble and, you know, let's let the options action guys deal with that because I think you want to control your risk. But the reality is this is a stock that has not participated in any snapback of the markets. They overpaid. It was a deal that seemed to be made out of really out of, I'm not going to say desperation, but not out of strength. And and there's a lot of overlap. There's some expiring pipelines in both companies that seem to be, hey, let's get together and, and, you know, eliminate some cost overlengths. But (laughs) it wasn't something you got excited about. I still think the opportunity is selling. I understand what you're saying, but I mean, we we all talk about it all the time this is bristol is masquerading as a pharma company that's actually a big got biotech. An activist here that you can invest alongside yeah we're pushing for change yeah nominating uh people onto the board yeah I, what I, happens. I look at it right now is if if this actually the if the whole deal completely falls through i think that celgene's way cheap great opportunity but it already had that huge pop it popped 40 percent basically it, off off the recent lows maybe even over 40 yep, percent it did so I, 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 can, I, I get what you're saying about Bristol, but I do think you'll probably see that one creep higher. Bristol. Bristol creep higher versus the Celgene, uh, you know, be bought on I just on don't that. like them long term. I don't like them. I mean, who could buy Celgene at this point at that size? I mean, Bristol right. came along and that was sort of a rarity. Is Celgene yep. more likely, if left alone, more likely the acquirer yes. in, an, in the next transaction? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And does I like that, that make Pete used the word masquerade. It's one of my favorite songs With in Phantom Q, of the not Opera. A, not a K. I won't great. sing it because last time I sang on the show was a problem. I'm with Pete on this one. I think I understand what Pete is say, I, Steve is saying. Yes, Celgene did have a big run off those lows. But you go back and look where the stock has traded. Not suggesting it should go back there, but I think valuation, their balance sheet suggests that their stock should be higher. So I would buy Celgene and I would sell Bristol Myers on this. Masquerade. There you go. With a Q. Nice. Uh, now to another big after-hours mover. Shares of L Brands tanking on earnings, bucking the broader retail uh, rally this week. Bob Pisani is at the NYSE to break it down. Bob. 
Hello, Melissa. You know, the retailers aren't dead yet, but department stores and specialty apparel are still having a really tough time. After the close, Victoria's Secret maker L Brands reported fourth quarter earnings. They were above expectations, but they gave 2019 guidance that was well below expectations. That stock trading down about 6% in the after hours. Still, a spate of better than expected earnings results has generally lifted retailers this week. The XRT, or the retail ETF, is up 2% this week to its highest level since early December, up 20% since the December 24th low. That's about matching the S&P 500's gain since then. Companies with recent earnings results like Etsy, Dillard's, Best Buy, Macy's, they lead the price gainers this week. Now, many of these retailers are also busy returning money to shareholders. Recently, Home Depot, Best Buy, and TJX increased their dividend payout and Best Buy and Home Depot announced very large buybacks. Best Buy is one of those corporations I call buyback monsters. These are companies that have lowered their shares outstanding more than 25% since 2010. In Best Buy's case, they've gone from 418 million to 269 million shares from 2010 to today. That's a share count reduction of 36%. And today's $3 billion buyback announcement would reduce that by another 15% if it was fully executed. What this means is that all other things being equal, Best Buy's earnings are 36% higher than in 2010 with no change in the fundamentals, just fewer shares. But the recent gains doesn't really mean retail is back in a big way that we've seen. So there's very clear winners here and very clear losers in this ongoing battle with Amazon. So far, it appears that discounters like Walmart, TJX, Raw Stores, Target, and the dollar stores will be survivors, as will the home improvement companies like Home Depot and Lowe's. And Costco and Best Buy also appear to be survivors. But department stores and specialty apparel stores like L Brands, they're still under tremendous pressure, and they are still ceding share to online players and off-price stores. Back to you, Melissa. All right. Thank you, Bob. So let's trade some of these names, and uh, I'll go to the option monster. Mm. Ooh. Pete. About the buyback monsters. You. Because it's I know you like Best Buy. Yeah, and I talk about that whenever I'm doing a power pitch, right? Love Fast the power pitch, pitch. Power pitch, all those cases. One of the things that I always like to look at is, is this something that they've been doing for a long time, Mel, or is it something they're just trying to do for financial engineering? And that's why I always like to look back the last decade or so and see if people are doing it. I think the interesting thing about retail right now, those that are having success, they have success because they're doing it online, whether, it, whether it's Best Buy or Target or Walmart. I mean, go across the board. And they have great cash flow. I started the show tonight with cash flow being a really big deal. Look at the cash flows versus the market cap of a Target or a Walmart or some of these names. It's unbelievable. Best Buy, you can see all of the, the, the stock that they're buying back, most of that is coming just from the cash flows that they've got. So that and raising dividends, there's a lot of different areas of retail right now, but you've got to execute. And Lowe's is on their way. I think Lowe's was one of those that I actually kind of gave up on. It was just Home Depot and then Lowe's sort of in the background. I think Lowe's with this new CEO, uh, Ellison, is doing an outstanding job of positioning themselves better and better against Home Depot. Yeah, to me, look, Pete's talking about the hard lines. Best Buy, Home Depot, Lowe's, all these, to me, so far superior to anything else in big box or in, in broad lines, staples, you name it. Food, re food retailers are a mess to me. Again, the margins are really poor, to put it lightly. So, uh, again, I think that's where you want to stay in these names. That you know, There's a big move in Best Buy. Stock's not expensive. So what happened oh, with sorry. Lowe's and Home Depot? I mean, what, does, what do Lowe's results tell you about Home Depot? They're catching up. If you look at the, the change, you know, 
year-over-year change, they're clearly catching up to Home Depot, and I think that's why the stock is performing like it did. If you looked at the initial reaction of lows, it was actually lower, and then it actually reversed. So I think the market is saying it's catching up. But quickly about L Brands, people will look and say, wait a second, you know, at 10 times forward earnings, it's cheap. Gross margins continue to decline. This guide for full year is a disaster, and they guided to 220 to 270. It's probably going to come in at the lower end of guidance. You have negative EPS growth, so throw the whole valuation thing out the window. That coupled with the fact that it's so bad, we don't even pay the gratuitous Victoria's Secret footage anymore. Oh, be careful. That's uh, how bad. Uh, no, we're not playing no. it. No. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because people wow. don't buy it, that, apparently. That's right. That's what I'm talking about. Although so don't he, buy the stock. He he know what happened if we did. the Bath and Body Works part Absolutely of the business. Absolutely, I do. Yeah. That's well, strong. The candle. Candle. There's a little strength fruity. coming from that fruity, part fruity of the business. Lotion. The what? You don't even know it's part of the business, do you? What, the mango wash? Yeah. I love a good mango wash. Big mango wash. You could use one. Yeah. Coming up. <laughs> Like Ross and needs a razor. Check out shares of Square getting slammed after his earnings report. CEO Jack Dorsey speaking on the company conference call right now. We will hear from him in just a few minutes. Plus, Pete, bring in the heat, getting ready to pitch one stock he says is about to soar. But will the other traders get on board? Yes, that's a hint. The name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. There is one stock that's sitting in correction territory. It's down 10% from its highs. But Pete thinks the name is about to take off. Pete's over at the plaza to give us his fast pitch. Pete. You know, we talk about the airlines all the time. I know Tim's a big fan of this one, so I think I already got him in my back pocket. (laughs) But I got to tell you something. What I like is the combination. Warren Buffett owns 8% of United Airlines. That's pretty significant. He made a huge investment, and he's already up almost 50% from the initial investment. So I love the fact that Buffett's in there. That helps out. I think the CEO's done a great job of execution. He needed to do some cost-cutting and some, some absolute looking at the efficiencies of the airline. I think they've done a great job there. And then when I look at this company trading at eight times, that's really pretty amazing. These guys are a serial buyback. And matter of fact, in the last four years, they've bought back 27% of their shares. Why? Because they got incredible cash flows. That's another area of growth. I love what we're seeing right now. This is a stock that is off those highs. But I think more importantly, when you're looking at different areas of growth, the earnings this past year were about $9. They're saying they're going to be between 10 and 12. Let's say it's 11 Talk about growth. And then take a look at this chart. This is where the stock had been when it hit those highs, around $97 a share. It seems to have bottomed right where it seems like there's some kind of support. I'm not a chart guy, but when I look at this chart, it looks like a little bit of a creep to the upside. And I think this stock has a little bit more room to maybe at some point in time, depending on oil, we got to keep oil between Mm. 40 and 80. But depending on oil, if it stays somewhere in that range, I think this is a company that over the next year gets back up and through $100 a share. So, Pete, two questions that I think you can answer them really quickly. Two (laughs) questions. The dollar. the dollar is where I'm at. So yeah. if dollar is correlated or inversely correlated to oil, mm-hmm. if uh, Powell is super dovish, then that means a lower dollar, higher oil, Earl, higher, higher oil, yep. which could mean that you have a headwind for yep. your UAL. Yep. And second question real quick, is this a uh, across the board, do you like the airlines macro and like this one the best? I like the airlines in general. I think the biggies particularly. I look at this one. I look at Delta. I think Southwest actually is creating an opportunity. And also Hawaiian Air, which doesn't get talked about nearly enough, but that's another one where I think they do. Oil, I think as long as it's under 80, as long as it's under 80 to, uh, uh, to the upside, Steve, I think we're okay. Over 80, we got a problem. 
Pete, I'm going to ask you six yeah. questions real quick. Um, can you talk about capacity, please? Um, we've been very concerned about their ability to be actually restrained and actually uh, running a tight ship, so right. to speak. And they have talked about expansion, obviously, Tim, and I know you know that. They've talked about expanding some of it. Right now, when you look at that Prasm number that you bring up all the time, this is a company that seems to be really hitting it right. So I think they're doing everything right from a price perspective. And this is one area where millennials not happy about pricing because the pricing here is definitively higher than the, that most millennials would like. Everything else seems to be all in their favor, not the airlines. All right, no more questions. Time to vote. Are you buying Pete's pitch on United? Guy Dami, what do you say? So look what I wrote. 11 times trailing, 7 times forward. Friendly valuation. Oh, I see what you did there. I see, <laughs> see what, I what did you there? did there. So, yes. Yeah, yes. Grasso. <laughs> Big buyer, Pete, seller of UAL. Oh. <laughs> it's all right, Steve. It's okay. After all those questions answered, too. Uh, Tim. Check out Pete wrestling the, the, air, the airplane like Godzilla. I'm voting yes, absolutely. Margin expansion coming in 2019. Yep. I'm Re- long. Reptilian, well, like a shark. Right? Yeah. It's sort of reptilian in the green. Yeah, <laughs> Did Pete's pitch for United make you want to hop on board? You can vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money while you're there. Be sure to weigh in on what song we should play ah. to reveal later in the Ooh. show. It's going to be a good one. Going to need it. Yep. Plus, check out Shares of Square. Sinking after the report. That stock has been on fire in the last few years. But is the run done? Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Square. It's getting slammed in the after hours. Dee Bosa is in San Francisco with more. Deidre. Melissa, this is a stock that's up more than 40% year-to-date, so expectations were sky-high, and investors focusing on that mixed outlook. But the story here remains largely intact. Subscription and services revenue grew by triple digits for a second straight quarter, and the company continues to expand its addressable market by going after traditional banking services. Jack Dorsey on the call says the Cash App continues to grow the ecosystem. I think the biggest driver is really going to be how the network is spreading and and just the inherent network effects that it has as a business. And as we add more utility um, and more financial services, um, such as uh, the card or uh, stored balance or instant deposit, ATM, uh, it just becomes a much, much more durable relationship. Dorsey also mentioned that Square card is one of the things that he is most excited about this year. It's a free business debit card that is connected to a merchant Square balance. He said that it's helping people see the power of Square's ecosystem. And funny enough, that was on display on the call. Shortly after he said this, a Square merchant asked Dorsey what other services are coming that will allow her to transition from her traditional banking system completely over to the infrastructure that Square is building. I thought that was really interesting. Remember, Melissa, that Square has applied for a banking license. There was no update. But uh, Dorsey said that they're still in discussions. So on this earnings call, there are just Square merchants, people who use Square services? <laughs> yeah, I got to say, it's one of the best parts of the call because you actually get a sense of how merchants are using the services. And over time, over quarters, you see them ask questions about the different services and subscriptions that Square is offering. Right. All right, Deidre. Thank you, Deidre Bosa in San Francisco. Call me a conspiracy theorist, but I feel like they're hand-selected to showcase Square's services. (laughs) Anyway, despite tonight's sell-off, Square has run circles around the other payment stocks over the last few years. The stock now is up uh, nearly 800% from its IPO. We go to you, Grasso. You've been in and out. Yeah, so so I'm I'm in the stock, and let's remember, a couple of months ago, it was trading at $50. This is a bargain. I think that you'll see this stock back to 80 in short order. It's about services. It's not about payments. It's about services, and that's where the people get it wrong. 
So there's some concerns also just that Google's going to enter the fray and actually begin to consolidate both direct and indirect. So merchants, uh, restaurants directly, and then third-party deliveries and whatnot. And this is something that's also been knocking the stock around. I- I'm long the stock as well. I-, I-, I believe in the infrastructure. I believe in the payments. I believe in, in the entire ecosystem that they're building, the value added. It's hard for me to say value, though. You know, I mean, it's oh, hard for me. The stock maybe, is maybe very Google expensive. Takes them. Maybe Google takes them out. Maybe. Uh, Elsewhere in the world of Jack Dorsey, shares of Twitter (laughs) down about 8% in the past month, getting ghosted by Snap, which is going parabolic. It's up more than 50% in the past month. Twitter CFO Ned Siegel reiterating the company's expectations of a 20% expense increase this year yesterday. So here's the ultimate game of would you rather here. At a very critical moment in time where Twitter says it's, it's going to spend, spend, spend to grow, et cetera, et cetera. It's got pl- problems with its platform, policing content, um, and Snap, which reported earnings and sort of gave you a, a good but muted idea of what growth is going to be like. Would you rather well, Snap well, or Twitter? Would you rather? I would rather Twitter. And it's consistent with where I've been all along. So there's nothing new here. I, I, I struggle with Snap's ability to grow outside of some short covering. And to me, the fact that the, the bar was so low in terms of their, their user metrics, they're changing their user metrics, et cetera, et cetera. I realize Twitter is not a sexy growth story. But I'm very, I'm, I'm encouraged by the consistency in the double-digit DAU growth or whatever they want us to follow. Uh, and the fact that their ad revenues are growing kind of north of 30%. I'm more on the ad growth side because I think they've, they've slowed down to the point where it seems like they, they got what they've got in terms of daily active users, monthly active views. Maybe they grow a little bit there, but it's about the advertising. And I think going into this presidential campaign over the next year and a half, two years, they are in a great spot. Meanwhile, I look at Snap and I say to myself, you know what, other than short covering, why is that stock even higher than it was? Guy Dom. Yes, Guy Dom. You usually ask you the question, it? so in class we used to have to raise our hand. And I picked you don't blur it out, and Pete picked me out. Yeah. I'll give you the answer to that question. Yeah. I think the missteps of Facebook is one of the reasons that Snap has gone from 6 to 10, because Facebook can't obliterate them. But once Facebook gets back on terra firma, which I don't know when that's going to be, I think Snap heads right back down to 6 bucks a share. Okay. Still ahead. The clock is ticking on Tesla's billion-dollar debt deadline, so will the massive payment put the company in a cash crunch? We've got the details. Plus, let's get a check on our Kramer cam. There he is, Jim Kramer himself, talking to the GW Pharma CEO after that stock soared yesterday on earnings. Catch that at the top of the hour. We are live in Times Square. The Nasdaq, much more fast money. Still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla's just two days away from a nearly $1 billion debt deadline. The electric car maker has the money for the payment, but the bill could put them in a cash crunch. Let's get to Phil LeBeau in Chicago with the details. Hey, Phil. And Melissa, you bring up a good point. Tesla does have the money to make this payment. It's for a convertible note that is due on Friday, $920 million. By the way, that payment due Friday, if they had shares of Tesla over $359 a share, $359.87, they could have just issued stock to the convertible note holders. No, it's nowhere close to that. So as a result, they will have to come up with that money. Keep in mind, they had just under $3.7 billion in cash on hand at the end of the fourth quarter. So they've got plenty of liquidity. But what about whether or not there's a cash crunch in the first quarter and the rest of this year? They have said, or it's been speculated, so to speak, that there could be a crash burn, a cash burn in the first quarter. But Tesla indicated in the last earnings report it expects to be cash flow positive in the second, third, and fourth quarter. They are also lowering their CapEx spending this year. So they are mindful of their cash position. As you take a look at shares of the Tesla bonds, and that's what we're going to be showing you now, 
keep in mind, or I should say not shares, but the Tesla bonds, if you take a look at this, it's been pretty volatile over the last year. Elon Musk tweeted early, early this morning, Melissa, that there will be some Tesla news tomorrow afternoon. If you missed it, maybe it's because you didn't recognize that his Twitter handle is Elon Tusk. Yes. Not Elon Musk, Elon Tusk. I noticed that. Uh, And he emphasized that today in another tweet where he said, E.T. phone home, yes. no answer. Yes. E.T. being, I presume, either E.T. E.T. the creature in the movie Elon or, Tusk. or Elon Tusk. Or Elon Tusk. So he's not, so all this SEC business hmm. hasn't crimped his, his Twitter style at all. Sense of humor. Not at all. <laughs> all right, Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau outlining the, the latest adventures of Elon Tusk. You know what's so ironic is that Okay, so three fifty nine eighty seven. That's the average price that it would have to on a volume weighted basis for the twenty days. Blah blah blah. But that's the price that it would have had to hit. Mm-hmm. If he stayed off Twitter, he may have saved the company that much money in this convertible debt payments. Well, I, you know, my, my view is that actually this whole SEC Twitter thing is is a bit of a it's nuanced, but that he's he's looking for the SEC to be a scapegoat for reasons why I think they have a lot of liquidity issues. So that's a conspiracy theory, but that the SEC is actually really let, ready to let him not be able to do a raise again with this cause action hanging over the stock. They can't do a raise right now anyway. Question is, do you believe they had three point seven billion at the end of the fourth quarter? I think there's a lot of people that don't. I think that there was some window dressing in there. If you look at their net interest income, it implies they had about a billion in cash. Um, um, there's rumors that they're not paying suppliers. There's rumors of, of stuff like this. So um, I, I think it's a tighter squeeze than the market is letting on to. We had a spirited conversation last night. But we on do every Tesla. night. On Tesla. On Tesla, yeah. And I said, look, I, I, the, the opportunity for shorts to lay into that stock yesterday was right there in front right. of them. Right. Silver platter. And they didn't do it. It took down to 290, closed higher in a day. And one of the things we said, for the first time in a long time, here's a long side opportunity. And Tesla is up 6% today. With that said, okay, I still think there's further room to the upside. I think the shorts have tried everything they can unsuccessfully. I think there's a chance it's not going to get to 359 and change Can it tomorrow. Go up if, he, if, if, if Elon, for instance, lays off for a while on the Twitter. And, uh, Does it he's feel not like gonna, he's laying off, though? No, it feels like he's, no, it he's about <laughs> to get ready to dig a little, <laughs> but little bit deeper. Well, that, I guess the question would be, does he lay off and, and it goes higher, or does he... Continue tweeting. You guys aren't even talking about cash, though. Right. You're not even talking about the fundamental issue here, which is the debt. We're talking about shenanigans well, I think on The Twitter. reason why he's on Twitter is what you said before. I think he's masking the, the fact that there's some, there's some bigger fundamental issues. Let's talk about the numbers. This is in his balance sheet. Yes. All right. One <laughs> trader sees the company slide, accelerating in the near, near future. Let's uh, get to Mike Cohen, San Francisco, for the options action. Mike, what are you seeing? Yeah, probably not surprising given all of the news surrounding the company that we did see double the average daily options volume today. One of the trades that I would point out was a purchase of the uh, 290 puts in March. We saw somebody paying about $5 for those. That would obviously be a bet that it's going to fall below that strike by at least the five bucks that they paid. I would also point out that a lot of this volume is basically betting that it is either going to be sharply higher or lower within the next 30 days. We saw a lot of buyers of the 320 calls expiring on March 29th and also the 280 puts of the same expiration. This is basically looking for moves of 10% or so in either direction. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. Mike Coe in San Francisco. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, we got the final trades.
Welcome back. We asked you on Twitter to pick a new song to replace our classic fast pitch tune, huh. Tony Braxton, Unbreak My Heart. And it is true. It is true. Everybody hurts. Oh, is that the song? <laughs> it's, yes, especially uh, Pete. I am. That Big is the song you all voted for on Twitter, even though that you voted awesome. against Pete's pitch for you. I got to tell you something. You voted Sorry, against Pete. me on Goose. It's up seven bucks. You voted against me here. It's going up seven bucks. Giddy up. BP is going to be my final trade. Wow. That. Wow. You, you self-final yeah, traded. Self-final traded. Going through the whole so thing. That's sweet. I mean, I, I, I love that we've got REM as a theme song on any part of Fast Money. I believe it's on Automatic for the People. Oh, by the way, and United Airlines. How about that one? Giddy. You know a group that was thrown out last year was the cruise lines. I went on a cruise last week. It was an exceptional experience. Norwegian Cruise Line. Final trade. Nice. You should just let this play. It's so like, it's the soundtrack do you of college. Like this better than 100%. Oh, it's fantastic. You should get REM to reunite. You know, Michael Stipe is a big watcher. I'm sure watching. Oh, oh my God. Watching Michael, all Michael, Bradley Cooper. No, Michael, forget about Michael. Oprah Washington. This guy's wedding song. What's your final trade? <laughs> Exxon Mobil. I'm saying it's going 82 and a half. His mama named him Clay. I call him Clay, and that's 82 and a half. Oh, get him, Exxon. Come on. That's what's rusty. Back here tomorrow at 5 for Fast Mad Money. Your favorite starts right now.